of all the leagues to really make an entrance uh, from international break, leave it to Serie A. 31 goals in nine games, and we're going to break that down along with other stories here on Serie A Sit Down, World Football Index's podcast of Calcio Told Like It Is. I'm Frank Crivello, and uh, back with us uh, after uh, being deathly ill uh, uh, over the last couple of weeks and uh, has nursed his way back to health, Richard Carmen. Ciao, Richard. <laughs> Ciao, Frank. I'm glad you remember my name. I remember your name, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. I it has been a while. We've, uh, we've done this together. So, no, uh, uh, big thanks to Rocco Fasano for uh, yes, yes. Uh, stepping in for you uh, in your absence. And then uh, uh, we uh, we took a nice break um, over uh, over the international break. Uh, I had some more commitments to take care of. Uh, we just decided, hey, let it pass. Uh, so, But I do want to lead, Richard, with uh, Italy qualifying for Euro 2020, um, doing so with a... 2-0 win over a Greek team that uh, didn't feel like, you know, coming to Italy and playing football. Uh, they they pretty much uh, put 10 men in front of the goal and uh, said to Italy, hey, try to try to get around us, try to get through us. However, you got to score. That's that's what we're coming here to do. Uh, Italy figured out a way to do that through a Jorginho penalty, and then Benedeschi, who actually came on as a substitute for an injured Federico Chiesa, and uh, provided a spark for the team and provided some influence in the game. Italy winning that 2-0. Uh, and then uh, that that sealed qualification for them. Uh, they would go and play Liechtenstein uh, at midweek, and they would win that one. Uh, that was on Tuesday. They would win that one by five goals to nil. Uh, getting on the score sheet there uh, on, uh, was Andrea Bellotti twice, Federico Bernardeschi getting on the score sheet, Stefan El Sharawi, and Alessio Romagnoli uh, scoring as well. So, um Plenty of goals coming in that, as we probably had to expect. Mancini could have started any 11 from his pool of players, and they were going to go and win in Liechtenstein, and they were going to win big. But biggest story is 8-for-8 eight eight in qualifying, uh, and Italy head to Euro 2020, Richard. Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly a step in the right direction uh, after the debacle that was the last uh, big tournament we were in. Uh, so it's good to see that the boys put it together. Uh, we finally got a solid midfield uh, between Jorginho, Barella, and and uh, Varati, so and then plus you got Sensi right there, on, just on the on the cuffs trying to get in there. So uh, the team is running out very nicely. Uh, now you got Balotti getting some goals in the national team. Maybe you get Immobile getting some scoring, but you know eight for eight, you can't ask for more. No, you can't. I mean, here's what I've been thinking about because I wanted to talk about um, this Italy under Roberto Mancini. I think it's very easy to say. Uh, and very obvious to say, but something that probably people aren't paying attention to. This has been a progression, and this has been a steady progression of growth under Roberto Mancini as far as an identity that Italy is now as a footballing nation. I mean, it's the, the Catanaccio stuff, you could always go back to it, but this is an attacking Italy. This is an Italy that wants to boss possession, and I get that some of this looks easy because of the... Uh, teams that they got to play in this qualification stage, there isn't many teams in here that really gave them, that really pushed them. Um, you know, Finland and Bosnia and Herzegovina are the ones that are contending for the playoff or for the remaining automatic spot, and then also there's going to be a playoff place. Um, but what I've seen in the last year and a half under Roberto Mancini or since he took over is progress. Okay, they took a UEFA Nations League, didn't place a high priority on trying to get to the Nations League. Uh, semifinals had to play with Poland and Portugal, which are tough opponents. Uh, survived getting dropped to the lesser zone, um, you know, but didn't qualify for the uh, the semifinals. Portugal did that. Um, 
but in those games, they created an identity of how, how they wanted to play and who they wanted to be, and they did it against good opponents, and they carried that into qualifying, and they got better and better and better at what the new Italy is. Uh, so I totally find that this is an Italy that continues to make progress under Roberto Mancini, and, you know, bias aside, I think that this is a sleeper in the Euro 2020 tournament this summer. Yeah, and and I have to agree with you. I think that the team has uh, shown you know a steady, but you know upward projection uh, progression, and it's it's great to see because like you said, uh, the the real tall tale sound was going to be the Nations League with Poland and and Portugal. You know we know Poland's going to be struggling, but Portugal you know are a very good team. They obviously won it. Um, so it was curious to see how Italy would stack up against them, and they did very well. They didn't get dropped like we like you said. So um, they built off of that, and you know they they took you know. Yes, it was a weak group that they're in. However, we've seen them weak groups before, and they've struggled against these lower teams. So uh, to see that, you know, probably started the turnaround was probably back in March when they started like consecutively and, and strongly starting beating these teams in the groups, um, and they started putting the goals in, you know, one by one. Got a big victory on the road at Greece, three nothing was huge as well. And um, I mean, tell, I'm telling you, just having that midfield to kind of boss, 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 boss the play, you know, string passes together. That's so vital. And and strong Italian teams in the past have always had obviously a strong defense, but a midfield that could uh, link the defense to the offense. And and I think we have that finally now, and it's encouraging. I think it's got to be a sleeper uh, for sure. Um, I wouldn't call it quite favorites, but you know, don't don't sleep on on Italy because I think they could they could do some damage to people. And if they get their their strikers. Um, humming, look out! I think you're. I think you're absolutely right. I think you brought up a couple of excellent points here. First of all, the midfield. Uh, it's a. It's definitely an improvement. Um, I think. Um, you know, he started with Jorginho, Verratti, and Barella, uh, and that's been the main uh, three in that midfield. Stefano Sensi has found his way into some roles there as well. Uh, so. They found they found first of all a base three players, and then Sensi's come in obviously with the form that he played with in Inter, and obviously he sat out these qualifiers and he's out through injury now. But he's another player that can make an impact in that midfield for you. Um, I think that that's been the key for Italy really changing their identity and who they are. This is the best midfield that Italy have had since they've since the Pirlo Cattuso combination. Uh, that won the World Cup in 2006. You can probably throw Camaronesi in there yes, as well. Yes. Um, you know, this is this is easily the best midfield and probably a chance to be better uh, than what that group was. Now, the way they're going to be measured is can they go and win a major international tournament? That's going to be how they're going to get measured as far as are they better than Pirlo Gattuso, Camaronesi. Um, I'm sure I'm leaving another midfielder out of that equation. Uh, I just can't think of them right now. Um, but to your point, uh there needs to be consistency at striker. Immobile could not find, and a lot of it was because of how Greece set up tactically against Italy. There wasn't a lot of room for Immobile. He wasn't able to generate some of his own stuff. Um, you know, they didn't really come out and play football, so the spaces were limited for him to find anything. You wonder how he does against a team that's going to try to come out and play in Italy, say like a Denmark, say like a Belgium, say like a, a Netherlands or someone like that. You know, uh, teams that you know you're going to see at Euro 2020 at some stage, whether group or, you know, in the knockouts. Uh, will that be the same? Probably not. Uh, teams will try to attempt to play Italy, and, and there might be more space for Immobile. So I think it remains to be seen if he's going to be the consistent striker, if it's Belotti. 
you know, while it's great to see Belotti score goals, it's against Liechtenstein. You know, I'd like to see that exactly. happen against a major international team, and uh, that hasn't happened yet. So um, we're waiting for that, and I think that that has the opportunity to show itself. Um, you know, but the striker position has to be a little bit more consistent. And I don't know if we're there at fullback yet. Um, and, and, and that's surprising to me uh, because of the talent that Italy actually can boast at the fullback positions. I think Spinazzola certainly showed himself really well uh, in the Greece game, played well in that. Uh, so there's your, your left back. But I think the right back is a position that really needs to get solved. D'Ambrosio was serviceable. Right. Um, you know, I think that they've had other players. I don't think Alessandro Florenzi is the answer. Um, I would like to see uh, Di Silvestri perhaps get his shot um, when yeah. he's fit and when he can get some you know consistent time with Torino and and so forth. Um, or I mean, I don't hate the idea of playing a guy who normally is a center back as a right back. He's you know Mancini's done that with Itzo. He's done that with um, he's done that with uh, 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 Mancini and Itzo. Uh, Gianluca Mancini got some time there. Itzo got some time there. So those are all possibilities, um, you know, and that has worked too. So I think the right back needs to be solved here. I think, you know, left back, I think, showed itself a little bit. As Spinazzola seems to be in pretty good form, and he's a guy that's probably going to be on that bus going to Euro 2020. Um, Biragi, if he can get fit and start getting some more games in Inter, which is going to be tough with, uh, as Asamoah seems to be favored in that spot. Um you know, but I think the the fullbacks in general, even though I think left back got figured out with Spinazzola, and then you know consistency at striker, and I think that this Italy has a real chance to do some damage here in 2020. Yeah, I, I do, I do too. And um, once they get that right back situation filled, uh, whoever I like the three names that you mentioned with Di Salvestri, uh, Mancini, and Itzo. Um, but if they can get that solidified, if they get that back four solidified, I think they can do some. They can do some damage. Um, it, the Italians, when they've when they've been successful in the past, it's with a strong defense, and so they they sincerely need one uh, at, to to do anything really uh, tough in this league. Because obviously the strikers aren't 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 there yet. So um, with the defense in the midfield, I think that the team could do quite well and go far. One more question about um, the right back, Lazzari. Yeah, seems to be more sensible as a right wing back though. Um, you know, than as a right fullback in a four four man defense, just with his characteristics and what he can really bring to the table. I, I wonder what you uh you know think about that. Yeah, I mean I think in situations where you would need a an extra midfielder in there, maybe he he'd be the one you bring on as a right wing back. Uh that way you can focus the other three midfielders uh more central um and, and push them up a little bit more. So I agree with you because I don't know if his defensive capabilities are are quite there yet. Um, he definitely has characteristics of a wing back, and and those characteristics tend to be better on the offensive end, and on the defensive end, uh, not so great uh, marking and stuff. So, uh, if he can get that figured out, then he'd be a, a lock in the right back situation. But I think I'm with you. He's he's definitely more of a, a right wing back, more of a midfielder type. Okay. So, reasonable expectations for this Italy at Euro 2020. Euro 2020 is a success if they blank. If they blank, um, if they can, ooh, I mean, it depends. There's some really good teams in, in Europe. Um, if they can get to the quarterfinals or even if they get to the semifinals, that is a freaking not home run right there. But I'm going to say if they get to the quarterfinals and do well in the quarterfinals, then that, that, that's a progression for me. Um, they cannot do, uh, 
falter in a group stage like they have in the, in the past couple of tournaments or, you know, even not make it. They're obviously made it, so that's not the question. But um, quarterfinals for me, and it's obviously home run if they go further than that. Yeah, I, 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 I like that. Quarterfinals, you know, I almost feel like not getting to the semifinals might be a failure with the trajectory that they're on because we're going to probably talk about them being a team that does really well in their group, does really well in their second-round game. When they get to the quarters, they should be a team that, okay, let's make that leap and let's show that this thing is turned around and get to the semis. But I like the quarterfinals as a baseline. I want to say the semifinals, but I think getting to the semifinals are going to be playing with house money as far as the progress that um, uh, Italy has made as as a national team. Uh, after the disaster with not qualifying for World Cup 2018. And another nice thing, Roberto Mancini did get an extension uh, through 2022, so he is on through the 2022 World Cup, which is great to see. Yes. So um, great to see. So that's our take on Italy. What's yours? Uh, go to at Serie Sit Down on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, and now we are going to just run right through. Uh, and Well, run through. It's going to take us a while. 31 goals in nine games, Richard. Uh, but we are uh, going to do our best to run through this last match week. All right, yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be hard to run through with all the goals that we scored. Um, so many goals were scored. I mean, just in two games alone, there were 13 goals. So uh, let's get to it. Uh, to start this one off, Lazio. Uh, the fireworks started off with Lazio and Atalanta. Really, um, Atalanta really kicked things off uh, in an incredible fashion. Uh, they scored a goal in the 23rd minute through Luis Merial. Uh, he followed it up in five minutes later with a brace, and then Papu Gomez rounded it off in the 37th minute to make it three nothing Lazio. Looked like they were sailing to a big victory. However, second half started. Um, Immobile, well, you really haven't done this in a while. I didn't realize Papu Gomez plays for Lazio and Luis Muriel plays for Lazio. Did I say Lazio and Atalanta? Oh, my God. Well, yeah, you did, but you said it was 3-0 Lazio at halftime. Oh. <laughs> well, yeah. See? I mean, um, yeah. 3-0 Atalanta at halftime. Uh, then Lazio showed up. Um, a questionable penalty. I thought it was a dive by Immobile, but nonetheless, penalty goal uh, for Immobile in the 69th. Uh, a minute later, Correa with one of the goals of the weekend, uh, he scored, make it 3-2. And then in the third minute stoppage time, a legit penalty, Immobile would convert 3-3 Lazio and Atalanta tie. Uh, crazy game there. Moving on, Napoli, um, they hosted Hellas Veronas, uh, and you would get a brace from Milik first in the 37th, and then in, again 30 minutes later in the 67th, Napoli win 2-0 at home against Hellas Verona. Uh, current league leaders Juventus hosted Bologna. Uh, scoring started in the 10th minute, or excuse me, 19th minute with Cristiano Ronaldo, a, a powerful low shot, uh, get past Skorupski. Um, that would be one off the lead, and then only it was responded back by one of the goals of the weekend by Danilo in the 26th minute off his chest, and then volleyed it past Buffon. One-one, uh, uh, shockingly going into halftime, but coming out of the break, uh, Miralem Pjanic loose ball collects it, powerful shot, low low past the goalkeeper. They win two-one against Bologna at home. Moving on to another barn burner, uh, Sassuolo hosting before Inter. You, hang on, before you jump in, I mean that Ronaldo. <clears throat> Um, it was with his uh, his uh, scissors movement and to to create that goal. But I will go on record, and this is how Father Time is undefeated. That is easily the slowest scissors movement he's ever done. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, but still, it was still impressive. I mean, he used to whip that movement every time. 
when he was taking on defenders. Um, he, he doesn't get he doesn't get his leg around the ball at the pace that he used to, though. I just thought I'd point that out. When I saw that, I was like, man, that that he 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 can still do it, but that looks slower than than what I expect and what I remember of him. But he still's got a heck of a shot, doesn't he? Hmm, my goodness. But and then I mean I I have this as a goal of the week candidate, but I also thought pretty weak for Skorupski to get beat at his near post there. I don't know if maybe he didn't see it, uh, but um, you know one of those. It, it's one of those where it was a it was a nice move and finish by Ronaldo, but at the same time it was one that you'd think a goalkeeper of even of Skorupski's talent and he's a good goalkeeper uh, probably could have come up with. Yeah, uh, Skorupski and Buffon both made fantastic saves or honorable mentions for our top five this week. Um, looking at uh, Sassuolo hosting Inter, this, like I said, was a barn burner. Uh, scoring started t- two minutes into the game. Latura Martinez with a goal um, gets a one nothing. It was uh, responded by Sassuolo in the 16th minute. Who Sassuolo are a bogey team for Inter. Uh, but Berardi was scored a goal, make it 1-1 in the 16th minute. Then uh, Romelu Lukaku turned up. Uh, he scored a goal in the 38th minute, a typical Lukaku goal. And then in the 45th, he uh, he scored a penalty uh, to make it 3-1 Inter. And just just when you thought uh, Inter was putting it on enough, in the 71st minute, another penalty. Arturo Martinez this time stepped up, made it 4-1 Inter. Looked like they were running away. And then uh, Sassuolo started playing. Uh, Juricic uh, scored a goal just three minutes after that to make it 4-2. to And then uh, Jeremy Boga with a wonderful goal in the 82nd minute made it 4-3. to That would be all the goals in the game. Inter, uh, crazy Inter as a pazzo Inter, as the Interisi say. Um, it looked like they were going to blow away with this win, but they, can't, they made it a little too close than uh, their fans would like. Moving on to uh, a, a, a game with a fantastic goal, uh, Cagliari hosting Spal. Spal have really been struggling enough late, but Cagliari um, this season have been projecting upwards, and it started in the ninth minute with one of the goals of the oh, the goal of the week. And yeah, one goal of the goals. Of the week. There's, there's no there's no debate. I, I said I texted you when it happened. I said I just saw the goal of the week. There's no reason to watch any of these other games. And it's arguably going to be one of the goals of the year. Uh, Nyangolan chested off his volley, very similar to Danilo, but he was probably 10 meters behind him uh, and scored a ridiculous volley. Uh, nobody in the world would have stopped that. I mean, it's pinpoint perfect in the corner, right past the keeper. What a goal. I mean, everybody was talking about this goal online. Uh, and then to round things out, uh, Farago with a nice goal in the 67th. Cagliari went 2-0, but this game, everyone was just talking about Nyangolan. Um a game that no, not many people wanted to talk about. Uh, it was it was entertaining, but it was no goals in this one. They didn't get the memo you're supposed to score. Sampdoria hosting Roma. Uh, this game ended nil-nil. Uh, lots of action, but no goals in this one. Moving on to Udinese Torino. Uh, Torino looked like a game that this is a game they should have won. Um, however, uh, Udinese uh, caught them really nice with Ukaka with an Okaka goal in the 42nd minute. They would hold on. One nothing would be the final score. Udinese win that one. And then another goal, another game with plenty of goals. Parma hosting Genoa. Um, it started out with Uri Kuchka uh, getting a goal in the 38th minute for Parma, one nothing. Uh, then it was the uh, Cornelius show. He would score a goal in the 42nd minute, one minute after stop one and, and stoppage time in the first half. Come out in the second half and score again in the 50th minute. So really a hat trick within an eight minute span. Um, Parma up 4-1 at that point. Pinamonte would get a goal in the 52nd to make it 4-1. Uh, but then Kulashevsky, really the best player on the pitch for either team, uh, he yeah. scored the fifth goal, 79th, 
5-1 Parma. What a performance by Kulashevsky over anybody else. I mean, we, 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 uh, we touted him before anybody else. We started talking about him over a month ago. So, um, and he's going to start generating the buzz and all of the other cultural podcasts are going to start talking about him and, we're gonna we're gonna pat ourselves on the back and we're gonna tell all of them on Twitter, hey, we we were talking about them long before you guys were. So, um, I take we take pride in that. That's one of the things you're gonna get from us at City I Sit Down is we're going to we're trying to find those gems before everybody else does. And uh, this is one of those that uh, and what a special game he had. I think it was three assists. Yeah. Along with the goal, um, he assisted Kuchka and I think he assisted two of Cornelius's goals, um, before scoring himself and and. And very composed on the finish too. Um, the kid makes really good decisions. You know, he doesn't waste the ball in attacking positions. You know, unlike a player who gets paid a lot of money to play for Milan in pretty much the same role. Uh, <laughs> did I did, did I just take a dig at Suzo? Oh, come on, he's a lovely man. Um, so and and to be that to be that way and to be 19 years old is. Uh, and I'll tell you what, Sweden is getting a collection of good attacking players here, you know, coming through the pipeline. They have, uh, they have Quaison, they've got, um, uh, they've got Forsberg, they've got some of these players. And I think that this is a kid that, if Sweden's smart, they call this kid up to the Euros in the summer. Yeah, they really need to because ever since Parma got him, they've, they've turned it up a gear with them and it's all because of him. So, um, yeah, hopefully we see good things with him and, uh, Parma certainly have a gem on their hands. Speaking of Milan, since you brought them up, uh, they would host Lecce, and this would end 2-2. Uh, scoring started with a goal of the week candidate, Hakan Cholanolu. Uh, he scored in the 20th minute, uh, and things would be quiet for a while. It looked like Milan was actually very had uh, better to play for most of the game, but that doesn't matter. The scoreline matters. In the 62nd minute, uh, Babacar would get a penalty kick. It would be saved by Donnarumma, but he would follow the rebound up and get the goal, make it 1-1. Uh, then Chris Piante came on late in the game. He would get his goal finally after a long time in the 81st minute, make it 2-1. Looked like Milan were going to win. And then another goal of the week candidate by Calderoni with a sensational bomb from distance. 2-2, Lecce steal the points. Uh, both teams, Pioli's first match uh, did not go as planned. And that was the nine games of this weekend. There's a game tomorrow with uh, Fiorentina, uh, Fiorentina on the road at Brescia. But uh, the nine games, a lot of goals this week. Well, I mean, I mean, Brescia Fiorentina. There's going to be more goals. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, we're going to be at least at 35. I think there'll be four in that game. Um, so, I've got that as a two-two draw. Um, you know, if there's going to be a winner, it's probably Fiorentina. I go. But with anyway, that. but yeah, I mean, just so many quality goals uh, and qual- you know, quality goals getting scored here. Good, good build-up, good team play. Sassuolo, I think every one of their goals are candidates for goal of the week. Um, uh, in, with uh, Bo- Boga, with just the individual work he did there, Juricic, uh, product of a great team goal. Um, I mean, just lots of um, lots of quality. This was that's uh, what it does, right? Quality goals. Yeah, I mean, they they do. They're fun bad, and they, they can't defend, but they score great goals. So it makes uh, makes for being uh, if you're a neutral fan, makes for watching Sassuolo. If you're gonna, if there's two teams you're gonna watch in Serie A. And you don't have a rooting interest. Watch an Atalanta match and watch a Sassuolo match. Yeah. And they probably put Lazio up there, too, um, yeah, with some definitely. of the games that they get into. So uh, that's uh, that's where I'd go as far as – I mean, I, I mean Napoli is the obvious one. Um, but I think under 
And let me ask you, because we're going to, you know, well, let's let's take a structured approach to these games. And let's start with Napoli. They're not the are you finding them now to be less of the free wheeling kind of team that they were under Sarri and Ancelotti has kind of gotten his hands around this a little bit more. They're far more. I don't want to call them game managers like a like an Allegri managed team, but you're starting to see some of these results. And and sure, they're going to pop for three or four goals sometimes. Uh, that goes without saying with the attacking talent that they have to offer. But they just, you know. They're winning these 2-0, 1-0 kind of matches now, and you didn't see that under Sarri. Um, you know, is this a symbol of Ancelotti having, you know, his hands around this team a little bit more than what he had maybe even last year? I think so. You know, he's had a year under his belt now, um, and he can implement the team the way he wants them to play, especially when they get to the um, the cup game and, and and Champions League and stuff like that. That's the most important thing at the moment for him. He's it's, he's always been a cup guy, and uh, the results have always panned out because the way he plays. And it's not about impressing and entertaining the, the opposition uh, when when they're playing the game. It's about getting the getting the results, controlling the game, and not letting uh, allowing too many opportunities with the opposition. So. Um, I, I think it's what last year, you know, like I said, it was, it was the first year he still had Sadi ball, let the, let the players get comfortable with that because they're, they're familiar with that and slowly work his system in. And now I think, uh, he's got the reins in completely. And I think the only time you'll see Sadi ball now is when, you know, things go haywire. They'll, they'll, they'll open it up maybe and, and try to get more goals that way. I mean, the players still have it in their DNA. So, um, you know, that's one of those things that we have said about Napoli all the yeah. time. They can always turn to it. When the chips are down and they really, you know, they want to go to something that's kind of in their in their wheelhouse and in their comfort zone. So, Lazio and Atalanta, very very entertaining game, but two fan bases, in my opinion, that need to come out of there feeling like, you know, what what the hell is going on with our team? As entertaining as it was, I mean, Lazio can look at it on the one end and say, man, we we just stole a point after getting the crap kicked out of us for forty five minutes. You know, where Atalanta's got it, probably the fan base there have to be looking at this and say, what do we got to do to be a big, beat a big team like this in a situation like this? What do we got to do to close these kind of games out? Because, you know, this is ha- this obviously happened in the Champions League against Shakhtar, and now it's carrying over to Serie A. And Atalanta's still sitting third place. There's not a whole lot for them to be worried about. But if they, and, and Rocco and I talked about this a couple weeks ago, um, Atalanta and you're, you know, some. Atalanta Twitter guys out there are saying, Scudetto, why not? Well, this is exactly why not. <laughs> so you're not closing out a game like this where you had three points in the bag. Yeah, and, and, and before the, before halftime, no less, right? And the one thing they have to look scared for, look scared about is, uh, Man City's coming around the corner, but we'll get into that. Um, that's not a way you want to get into a game like that by, you know, giving up three goals after having a big lead. So, um, Atalanta need to. We've we said this before in the past about Atalanta. If they can figure it out defensively, they're going to be a dangerous team. They, and they had before, but they kind of for, lost their ways again with defensively. So Gasparini is going to figure it out again and and try to solidify that back defense because they look terrible, especially in Champions League. They look bad, and and then games like this where you know they, it's a shootout, yeah, but you're up three nothing. You need to win that game, and if you don't, there's no excuse for it. Do you think that Gasparini is just incapable of? looking at a game and saying, okay, I'm 3-0 up. I need to reshuffle this and ride out this win. It, it, it almost feels like there's one way he wants to play. He's going to play that way regardless of the situation. 
Yeah, I I think that's what it is because had he you know he had he was a halftime up three nothing. He had plenty of time to be like, look, hey guys, let's let's turn it back a little bit, let's solidify the defensive end and not give away any opportunities. And they didn't do that. Sure, they had bad luck on that first goal for the the Lazio scored, but. It's still no excuse to give up three goals, and and once you give a team momentum, anything can happen. We've seen it in, in sports, especially in football, soccer. So, um, yeah, it, it is, this is on Gasparini for sure, and he needs to he needs to plan better in these type of situations. Yep. I mean, and then for Lazio, I mean, can't just <laughs> you can't just spot even Atalanta. You can't spot three goals. I mean. No. You, we've got a lot of, I mean, I am finding myself getting a lot of notification, notifications from Laziali, a lot of these messages from, from Jerry Mancini and, and, and the like. Um, but fine. I mean, you're welcome to you know, have me tagged and all of this stuff. I don't, don't have an issue with any of that, but this is a problem for Lazio. They still, in these big games, there's still issues with these big teams. And, and uh, this time they fought back and got the points. I, I'll, I'll take you to task, though, on that first penalty. I thought that was a good call. I thought that Palomino just was clumsy enough uh, on that on that situation. Um, you know, the second one was legit as well. I thought both of them were good calls, in my opinion. Uh, but anyway, um, but uh, Lazio really having the battle to, to get a point out of this game is probably evidence of why they, again, won't qualify for the Champions League. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, they're another team that can play. They should have a very good defense, especially with Cherubi. He probably needs a, a teammate there in center back uh, to help him out. But um, having lapses like this where you give up three goals in a game, that's, uh, that's unacceptable, especially if your team that has the um, the goal of reaching the Champions League. You're not going to get it that way by allowing three goals a game. So, uh, yeah, they got the offensive capabilities, but defensively they didn't shore things up. Both these clubs, really, if they want to make Champions League again uh, a priority for this year. I agree. Um, Juve, uh, the delete incident. I I don't think that's a handball. I didn't have a problem with the no call same, there. Same. Yeah, that's that's. I didn't that's, see what the big uh, deal was really, honestly, because it went underneath him, and then his, his arms are naturally there, trying to slide for a ball, and it went under him and hit his arm. I mean, it is what it is. It's it's fine by me. That's Serie A conspiracy theorists looking for something to be yeah. angry about. Yeah, that's really all that is. That's you know. So yeah, guys, nothing nothing to see there. They screwed us before, but this one was legit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're good with that. Um, you know, so Juventus, uh, you know, just continue to do what they're doing, and uh, you know. Gigi Buffon showing his class on that, uh, yeah, on that uh, save from Santander. Santander, I mean, yeah. For all the goals that that happened in in this uh, this weekend, there were some good goalkeeping too. Buffon coming up with a big save there. Seppe having a double save against Genoa, just a couple of prime examples. Yeah, Moret had uh, a triple save earlier in his game. So. Yep, yep. So uh, you know, so there's still good goalkeeping going on despite all the goals being scored. But um, you know. Classic Juve win. Found a way 2-1. Sadi is Sadi learning how to be a game manager in, in the form of Allegri. It's like, hey, I don't care how I get it. I'll get the three points. I don't have to be stubborn about how the team plays. Or is this still a team that eventually will get to that Sadi ball in full flight in the second half of the season and no one's going to touch him? Where, where are we going with, with Sadi as Juventus manager right now? I think Sarri is doing it smart at the moment where he's still got a little bit of Allegri, Allegri game management going on because the players know it so well. Um, and just as he's, as the team's getting used to his style, I think second half, I mean, they're already in first place. I think once Sarri ball takes off, they're going to be almost untouchable unless, you know, Inter or somebody knocks them off beforehand. Obviously, Inter already lost against them, but 
um, someone's going to have to pull them back or, or get ahead of them before Saudi ball, you know, gets into full full steam because otherwise after that, look out. They're just going to score goals and it's going to be fun to watch. Cagliari. Are they legit? Um, are they ready to ruin a typical uh, top six team season right now? Uh, or is this just a run of really good form? I, I think they're legit. I mean, when you go ahead and you take a look at some of these results, uh, why wouldn't they be? Um, you know, they, you know, it took a, a, a Lukaku penalty for Inter to beat them in Sardinia. Uh, but they, they went to the San Paolo and beat Napoli. Uh, they drew with Roma. Uh, you know, I, I get that Spall is a struggling team. I, I fully expected Cagliari to win this one easy. Um, but with the pieces that they have there, uh, and guess what? Robin Olsen, clean sheet and five saves, by the way, Roma fans. Um, this Cagliari team is going to disappoint somebody. They're going to disappoint another fan base. They're probably going to disappoint our fan base, Richard. They're already the disappointed. And might disappoint another. Yeah, well, we're already. Yeah, I get it. But they're going to disappoint. They're probably going to disappoint another one. The way that they're the way that they're going. They go to. They next go to Torino. So they host Bologna. Then they're out Atalanta hosting Fiorentina. That's a tricky fixture of four games. But if they come out of there with at least six points, we got to look at this Cagliari team and say, hey, this is a contender. Ah, absolutely, and, and there's a reason. A contender, for, a contender for Europe, by the way. Yes, yes, yes. Nascudetto. <laughs> um, no, no, and and, and I, on the preview show, I even came out and we said, you know, with our other guests, I said, you know, they're a contender to make Europe this year, and just by looking at their lineup, and they're playing that way, and, and Nyan Galan's had a resurgence playing with them. Uh, this team is legit, and I think, you know, are they going to be top six? Who knows, but they're certainly going to be challenging for it, I think. They're certainly going to be a, a top half of the table team, and it's great to see. We always talk about how, how difficult it is to play uh, at Cagliari, and they're making it pro- proof in the pudding there. So, um, I, yeah, once those four fixtures that you mentioned uh, come and go, we'll see really where they stand. But I, I think they're here for the stay, and I think they're going to be contending for the European spots. Definitely agree. Um Definitely agree. Let's uh, let's work down this a little bit. Uh, Sassuolo Inter Inter. We we well we've talked about this plenty of times on on Serie A sit down, but it's not a real secret. Uh, Sassuolo is a bogey team to Inter. Um, so even at four one, this wasn't safe. Um, but is Inter coming away from this saying, "Hey, this is just a team we always struggle with. We're just happy to get three points from," or? Do you see some genuine concerns with how they performed? I think it's Inter being Inter, not so, not anything to be concerned with. Um, and the one thing I would be concerned with is that they do have these games from time to time, and uh, luckily it's usually against teams that are are bottom end of the table, so they can actually come out with a victory. If they do this against like a Napoli or a Juventus or or, or even like a Roma or Lazio, it it may not end as well as as, as it would with Sassuolo. So. Um, it's just something we're going to have to get used to for now until Conte can figure out the defensive end because those defenders that they have are going to be probably the best defense in the league. They just haven't got used to each other yet. And so you're going to have these moments where they just, you know, they're pazzo inter. So uh, give us some time. I'm not worried about it, but um, it, it, it is alarming. I guess it's better to have it in the beginning of the season than the end of the season, right? So let's see if they can correct their uh, their mistakes. Somebody probably should have told Paulo Fonseca that what was going on today was an actual Serie A league game and it wasn't like a friendly over the international break with the lineup that he put out. Um, I mean, Zaniolo, Zaniolo started and, and uh, who's uh, Clivert, but 
We got the uh, Nikola Kalinic experience and Roma fans. We feel your pain. Um, and then he didn't even last. Uh, he didn't even last, last half the game. He actually he lasted <laughs> half the game. He left. Uh, uh, he was subbed out to begin the second half for Jekyll uh, after getting injured. But anyway, on the flip side, Claudio Ranieri taking over at Sampdoria, and we're going to talk about two new managers, you know, at new places, and. And and I think that both fan bases of these new managers should both be encouraged. Um, Sampdoria let Roma have the ball, but they looked dangerous on the counter. Could have come away with some points here, uh, with three points instead of just the uh, instead of just the one. And um, I think they I think they've got to be at least encouraged. You know, both fan bases, and we'll talk about Milan here in a minute. Are, should come away encouraged after what they saw. But in the case of, of Ranieri and Sampdoria, where everything just – it was a dumpster fire under Eusebio Di Francesco, arguably far worse than it was under uh, Giampaolo at Milan, but it just it's, it's all about where the standards lie for each each team's uh, you know fan base. But uh, under Ranieri, things should be a little bit more structured here at Sampdoria, and things should be a little bit more organized going forward, and that should give them some chances here. Uh, to start working their way back up the table. Yeah, certainly. And it should. I mean, what we saw from Sampdoria today was um, much better than anything we saw on our EDF. Um, it, Ranieri's team, uh, he'll he'll get this team moving. They're not they're not going to be in a relegation zone uh, for much longer. Um, you saw Quagliarella, excuse me, uh, starting to get involved and in play a lot more. Gabbiadini was involved. Uh, De Paoli almost scored a sensational goal. So. Uh, yeah, I think Ranieri now they're at the helm. This is exactly what they need was the wake up call they needed. And they're gonna start playing better football because they're they're gonna, they're more of a mid table team this season, not quite um, European. Uh, so I think we're gonna finally start them slowly creep back up. Uh, but uh, I think Ranieri is gonna be a good fit for them after all. Um, much better than he was at Roma, and much better than EDF was at Sampdoria. Right. Okay. At Udinese getting the win over Torino. Um... You know, when I saw this fixture, I said this is going to be tight. There's going to only be one goal in it. I mean, and I think that that's just the way things are set up when teams go to play at the Dacia um, under with with against Igor Tudor's men. But you have here's the thing that concerns concerns you about Torino now at this point: um, two straight games with no goals with you know Belotti plays like Belotti, Verdi, uh, uh, Baselli through the midfield, the wing backs that they've got. Um, this is a team that needs to figure out how to start scoring goals, uh, or else, you know, we might have seen the ceiling of a Walter Mazzari managed team here at Torino at the same time too. Um, time to panic here at Torino, uh, compared to what team, what their fan base might actually expect. Um, uh, or, uh, is it just one of those where they're just in a bad patch of form here? I like to say they're a bad patch of form, but we kind of talked about this beginning of the season that usually Matsadi, you know, when he when he when he's been at a team for a, a second year or even more, the team starts losing faith in him and they they start playing much poorer. And and now we're seeing that with Torino, unfortunately. Um, yeah, they have an excellent defense in front of them. They got you know Zaza and and, and Belotti playing well in the midfield. All all these good players, but maybe it's maybe it's 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 that situation where. 
they've had too much of Mazzari and it's time to go. We've also seen it with other other managers as well, where you know first years it's nice and peachy, and then well, you know after a second season or so, then teams start to get disinterested in what the the way they the way their bark orders and stuff. So maybe that's what the situa- situation is with Torino. So you know I'd love to say it's a bad patch of form, but I think it might be a a sign of things to come. Um, you know the way that they're playing, uh, losing games like this. Udinese games are hideously uneventful. I'm sorry, Sonia yeah. Misio. There, you you just just Udinese is the hideous team in Serie A to watch. I mean, and fine, beat Milan in the first game of the season when nobody knew what they were doing under Giampaolo. Good for you. But I mean, eight games, only four goals scored, only six goals conceded. I mean, it's just uh, it's got to be eyeball eating to be a Udinese fan at this point. Um, but I digress. I, I, I better before I get myself into trouble here. Uh, pa- Parma and Genoa, I, peace, love, and soul. The Andreas Cornelius hat trick, you're all excited about it, but it's it's only part of the story, man. We talked about it earlier. Uh, Dejan Kulishevsky, a uh, young player to watch here. Uh, the more he does this, the more he's going to find himself on a bigger team. Oh, yeah, I'm sure he's going to be snapped up quickly if he continues to play like this. I mean, the rest of the season plays the way you know the first few games has for him so far. He'll be playing somewhere else next year. And really, Cornelius, if he keeps scoring the way he is, he's probably going to go somewhere else too. But uh, Kulishevsky, he's a special player. He said he's only 19 years old. And he can He's doing magical things with Parma at the moment. He's pulling the strings, getting assists like crazy. So, yeah, I, I'd, I'd expect one of the big clubs to big uh, bag him up. Hopefully he stays in Serie A as opposed to moving abroad. But... Um, he will not. The way he, if this continues, he's not going to be a part of much longer. No, I and uh, Genoa. Um, oh boy, they held on to Andrea Zoli over the uh, international break, and then uh, this is what happens. And uh, now the uh, story is Massimo Carrera is the new favorite to replace huh. uh, Andrea Zoli on the bench. Um, now. N- we're recording this on a Sunday night. We've got no news that Andrea Zoli has been sacked. Uh, can I just tell you that he is a skinny Robert Irvine? <laughs> I have been waiting for weeks to say that shit, and I'm finally saying it. You know who Robert Irvine is, that muscle-bound chef that's on Food Channel or, yeah, Food Network, and has those, you know, he takes those restaurants that are all failing, and he has two days and a budget of $10,000 to turn them around. Um you know, and Andrea Zoli is like this scrawny, you know, long lost relative of Robert Irvine. That's that's what he looks like, doesn't he? Oh, he, he certainly does. That's actually a great. Uh, you know, I've always looked at him and I'm like, he reminds me of somebody. But when you just said that, I'm like, that's it. That's it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, that would that would be what Robert Irvine looks like if he didn't hit the weight room. So. Uh, but anyway, Carrera, uh, the new favorite to replace Andrea Zoli on the Genoa bench. This is being reported by uh, Football Italia staff. Um, Preziosi already tried to dismiss Andrea Zoli two weeks ago. Tried, really? I mean, why is he still there then? Um, but was forced to keep him on due to a lack of alternatives as Gennaro Gattuso and Stefano Pioli turned down the job. After today's 5-1 defeat at Parma, Andre Zoli acknowledged in his post-match comments that it was the end of the road. Uh, Andre Zoli did. He was resigned to the fact after the match. He's like, "There's these are decisions I can't control. And I think he knows he's probably uh, he's probably sleeping tonight. He's probably sleeping tonight knowing he's not going to have a job tomorrow. 
but you never know what you never know what Preziosi is going to do. You never know what he's going to say. But at this point, Carrera would make you know with the personnel that's there, Carrera would be pretty ideal for uh, uh, for this Genoa side, wouldn't you think? I think he, I think so, and he'd make them entertaining as well. And uh, I think Genoa fans would be thrilled to have him because uh, you know he's a player that. He's a manager that most most teams that were looking for a manager wanted you know want at least uh, get a, a whiff of him and get a maybe get an interview because he's that good of a manager. Uh, we saw what he did with um, Juventus and also when he went to Russia. So um, yeah, I think he'll do he, he'll do really well with Genoa and make them a um, a fun team and and uh, a, maybe a contender again to get back in the table and who knows beyond if you know if he does well, but. They got they got good players on that team, and you know you hate to see Koame and and Pinamonte you know struggle the way they do because those two players are really good, and and you know a guy like Carrera I think can get the best out of them and that team. So let's let's see let's right. hope the move happens sooner than later. It would be good for Genoa. I think it would be definitely be an upgrade. Carrera had a lot of success at Spartak Moscow in the Russian Premier League. Had a little bit of success when he had them playing in Europe as well. Uh, so I, I'd like to see him back in the fold and certainly managing in Serie A. So we'll see what happens. Now to our beloved Milan. Um, I'm gonna I'll, I'll give my you know commentary on this for Milan Twitter because a lot of people are obviously upset with the result and so on and so forth. You know, we can get to the curve of suit in a minute, Richard. But let's just talk <laughs> about the result. If you're a Milan supporter, you should be encouraged by what you saw today. You should be, and I am. Um, I saw a Milan that looked like they had a purpose. I saw a Milan that played proper football. I saw a Milan that create dangerous chances. I tweeted, I said, Milan are already more dangerous in two and a half minutes under Pioli than they were in seven games under Giampaolo. Two great chances for Leao to get on the score sheet right off the bat. I mean, Milan had intent right away. I get it in playing against the Lecce side where you're going to have a lot of chances uh, you know, against an opponent like that, but this is what you wanted, um, an aggressive approach, an aggressive team. Hakan Chalhanolu played his best game in a Milan shirt since he's been there. I thought he was terrific. Um, the midfield looks really good with the exception of Bilia. Uh, oh, Nima yeah. and I were going back and forth on this. They're, they're the midfield, the way it's structured, the way Pioli's got them functioning, uh, it looks really good. You wonder how it will look when Benacer finally gets somebody comes to their senses and realizes that Benacer is better than Belia and should be playing in that spot. Um, so there's a lot to be encouraged about. And on another day, this is three points for Milan. Unfortunately, it's one point because of a couple of stupid mistakes by the Milan players. Nothing that the coach can control. The handball by Conti. You got to call that. That's a that's a penalty. And then the inability to play out of the back in very critical situations, holding a two one lead, knowing where you are, knowing what you've got to do in those situations is just inexcusable. And at the end of the day, um, you know, I said Milan deserved to concede a second goal, and what a goal it was by Calderoni. For me, it's a goal of the week candidate. It was a great strike. Uh, but it's also an indictment of Milan's failures to play out of the back. Lecce doing some very nice pressing to try to get something out of the game. And uh, But overall, it's a point. It's not what Milan fans were hoping for. Uh, but it's when you look at the performance, better days are ahead. And you know, for everybody that was so upset about this decision to hire Pioli, I was probably the only Milan fan that wasn't. I was fine with the hire. Um, but 
this is this is exactly why we got him. He plays an attacking style. He plays an attractive style. You press, you create, and this Milan team looked far more dangerous than it did in any of the seven games under Giampaolo. Yeah, no, that's a hundred percent true. And I was one of those fans. I mean, when when Pioli was hired, I texted you and I said I hate this move, uh, but I've had some time to simmer down with the international break. Came at the perfect time for me, I guess. Um, and and coming into this game, I was like, you know what? I'm actually okay with the move. I like I like Pioli. You know, for the reasons you mentioned that you know he's an attacking minded uh, guy. He will stabilize the club for sure. Um, they're gonna stop this free fall. So. Um, what we saw in the first game was, or in this game today, is that the first, I mean, the first half was great. What you saw, the attack, Liao was great, Chalanolu was great. Um, we finally have a left back in Teo Hernandez, and uh, three fourths of that defense is good, and Bilia just still a mess, and Souza was non existent for most of the game. But the rest of it, you got to love what you saw, and you're hoping that now he can incorporate Liao and Piantic in, in the lineup at the same time and bring in some other guys like Benacer and Maybe Calabria can stop being hot-headed for once, and he can make make do it right back. But um, there's 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 lots of reason to be optimistic, despite what happened. Like you said, there's a couple mistakes that they they got beat on. They it is deserved draw. I mean, they dominated the game, but they couldn't finish at the end of it. Um, but the pressure that uh, Pioli got in his first game was great, and um, I'm I'm optimistic 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 with him at the helm. So let's see what 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 the rest brings. But I'm not as uh, in a dire state as I was, you know, three weeks ago when Giampaolo was there. Sure. And my message to the Curvasud Milan, grow the fuck up. <laughs> Seriously. Grow the fuck up. I mean, you, you know, oh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my ticket and I'm going to go and I'm going to sit and watch the game and I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to be just nice and quiet. They should have been Don't quiet shit. during that goal. That's why they should have been quiet when, when Chalanolo scored. Seriously. You know, while I while, kidding me? while That's I hated protest, while I hated really? while I hated Pioli getting signed at first, I was not one of the Pioli out guys. That was ridiculous. Everyone, you know, immediately was like Pioli out. I'm like, "Really? Come on now." What yeah. kind of, well, that's and ridiculous. I was the one that said, I was the one that said, I wonder how this Pioli out trend hashtag is going to look after Milan get 10 out of 12 in their next four games before they play Juve. Yeah, that would be great. So, they got one out of 3. So they got to win their next 3 for me to look good on that, but <laughs> uh, and that's Lazio, Spal, and Roma. So, eh, okay, they can win two of those. Um, you know, so we'll we'll see. I just, I mean, I'd rather you give the ticket away. I mean, Serie A did this wonderful campaign. They're trying to, you know, I wish they would actually do a ramp, a campaign to fight racism, but they do a campaign to promote reading. Yeah, for young yeah, kids, pretty good. Like there's this big illiteracy issue in Italy that that's bigger than the racism problem in Italy. Okay, um, these people are dumb shits. I'm 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 disappointed to be of the of the same culture at times. But anyway, then if you cover sued Milan, if you wanted to do that, then then give your ticket, give your ticket to kids. Okay, give your ticket to people that want to cheer, that want to go to the game and cheer. All right. Sell your ticket if you want to. All right, give it to somebody who, you know, a kid who probably will be the only time that they're going to go get to see their favorite team and see their heroes in red and black instead of sit there and be some entitled asshole and sit there and not say anything in a game. That was embarrassing. That was embarrassing for a fan base. The ultra section of Milan should be ashamed. Okay, I sat near that section 11 years ago. Okay, and I'm I that night in the derby. 
I was proud that that was part of the fan base of the team I support. Today, I am not proud of that part of the fan base of the team I support. That was so pathetic. There was the worst form of a protest I could have they could have come up with, short of doing anything violent or racist or beyond, you know, the the realm of humanity. Um, and I, I just it, it just it, it bothered me, Richard. I mean, you, you go you support your team through thick and thin, okay? You don't like the coach hire, you still support the guys wearing the shirt that are out there on the pitch, okay? And they put in a hell of an effort for 90 minutes for a bunch of entitled pricks that sit on the south end of the San Siro to just sit there and be quiet. Yeah. Yeah, and it was uh, it was a shame that that happened. Um, yeah, I agree with you. They should just give the damn tickets away. What are you doing? Just wasting your money now? Then just going to the game and not doing, not sharing? That's stupid. It just just dumb, really dumb. Um, so you know that's my that's my soapbox. But you know, this is a precious point for Lecce, and and again, a brilliant goal by Calderoni. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, to, to, to equalize the game. I mean, you can sit there and say all you want, how come Milan aren't stepping up and closing them down? But on the other hand, you want to maybe applaud the kid who scored the goal. That's a great strike. Oh, so, that's a great but, strike. Yeah, 100%. You know, Lecce get it. They're in a relegation fight. Eventually, Sampdoria and Genoa are going to get better. They need every point they can get. They do. And um, having goals like that, I mean, they got an actually decent front line. I mean, Mancosu, we've talked about, his is a... Uh, He's a, he's not a bad player at all, it's, and it's nice to see him playing the Trecartista role. Um, you know, yeah, Lapatulo is not the greatest striker in the world, but with Mancusu, at least he can set guys up and get some goals himself. You know, he's been he's been money from the penalty spot. So uh, if they can eke out wins like this, any kind of points they can get, like whether it's a bomb from Calderoni or, or anybody else scoring goals, any point they should be able to, they should be happy to take because right now it's just. Um, their Syria, the Syria campaign is not going to probably last after this year, but you know who knows? You know, collecting points is vital. One point is better than none. So, I agree. Goals of the week. I mean, we know Ninja with the goal of the week clearly uh, for Cagliari. Um, but go get, give me two through five or five down to two in any order. Uh, you know, fill in the fill in the blanks. Who makes up the rest of the top five? Lukaku penalty, Martin. No, I'm just kidding. Um, number yeah, all the penalties. <laughs> um, number five for me, I'm gonna go Hakan Chalanolu. Um, okay. And I went number four despite him. Uh, Calderoni was number four with a with a game tying goal. Number three for me, I went with Danilo with his uh, his his imitation of the Nyangolan goal. That was a very good imitation, but not quite to the level. Number two, I am going to go with the Cornelius tripleta. The three goals, all goals were nice, so I just gave you know got a hat trick in a short amount of time. I gave number two, and the number one is obviously Nyangolan. Okay, uh, I, I've got I've got one goal that's different from that list. I mean, I'll go I'll go Chalhanolu five. I'll go Calderoni four. I'll go. Um, I'll go Danilo uh, three. Uh, I'm a big fan of team goals, though you know this, and yes. I, I I love the Juricic goal for Sassuolo. Yeah. Uh, nice little nice little job where they ping it around and bring it back to where he finishes it off. Um, honorable mentions here: Boga, uh, his individual effort to score, Ronaldo with his scissors and goal, Lauturo uh, had a nice the, strike, and Lauturo having a nice strike as well. I think all three of those deserve mention. Uh, and then I want to, obviously, I mentioned it earlier in the podcast, but uh, Gigi Buffon's big save on Santander to help preserve the three points for Juve. And then Sepe with a uh, with an early double save against Genoa to set the tone. Um, it, it, it lost importance as Parma went on to score five goals, but mm-hmm. at the time it was nil-nil. Uh, so 
and and certainly any either either of those go in and it changes the dynamics of the game as we all know and you're not seeing a 5-1 parma result you're probably seeing something a little bit different so don't underestimate the importance of that so that's where we are i think we just differ on one goal at this point but um your goals of the week i mean if you come at us with a goal of the week that it's not that's not rajan angalan then we're gonna just we're just gonna block you you can't listen to our <laughs> podcast anymore um Go to Ad City. I sit down on Twitter or Instagram with your thoughts. Let's uh, wrap this up with a preview of Europe. All right. Uh, UEFA Champions League Tuesday matches. Uh, let's start with them, Richard. Um, Atalanta, obviously zero points from two games. Uh, shame that they didn't get at least a point out of uh their uh their efforts against Shakhtar Donetsk uh probably should have even won that game but gave up the late goal they're on zero points here at the bottom of the group and now have to travel to the favorites uh to win this group Manchester City um Juventus in a good spot right now in their group uh four points from two games after uh drawing with Atletico Madrid a game they should have won and then comfortably beating Bayer Leverkusen they now host Lokomotiv Moscow um, let's start with these two games and, uh, let's just offer our takes on, uh, each of them. Atalanta, go, just go, go be Atalanta. Let's, let's have some fun. <laughs> I mean, Man City will probably win eight to two, but it'll be worth it because we'll get to see, we'll get to see a ton of goals. That's just kind of where I'm at with it. What do you think? <laughs> 10 goals is probably a good over under this game. Um, eight to two is very plausible. It also, uh, a 4-4 game is very possible as well, but the, in the form that they've been in in Champions League and then obviously recently giving up go, giving up leads, um, you got to favor obviously Man City heavily. I'm just hoping that you know Atlanta surprises somehow and and come out there with goals. And yeah, they're gonna give they're gonna give up goals to City, but at least score some goals as well. And if I can get if, if we get like six goals in the game, I will be happy. I don't care who scores them, six goals. I want to see. Okay, I'm gonna go, actually eight to two is an exaggeration, but I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Manchester City five, Atalanta two. I just I, I don't see how Atalanta keeps this tight. Yeah, uh, that's probably a realistic scoreline there. I'm gonna go four two. Let me look it up real quick while we while while I got it. I've got bet sixty three sixty five as an app. I'm very curious to see. I mean, obviously, I can't make any bets. Uh, but I'm very curious to see what they have. Betting for. is one one sixteenth for Man City six five. That it's going to be a draw in twelve for Atalanta. Okay, uh, yeah, uh, Man City is minus five hundred favorites. Atalanta is plus twelve hundred dogs. Um, the over two, the, the, they usually use two and a half as the over under. Um, the two and a half. Wow, um, the two and a half. Uh, the over sits at minus 334, uh, and the under at plus 250. Both teams to score sitting at a minus 143, no at a plus 105. Um, so that's, uh, that's how, that's how Bet 365, uh, at least how the betting public is feeling about that game. Uh, conversely, a game that probably won't have as many, nearly as many goals, at least we don't expect it to. Juventus hosting Locomotive Moscow. Um, I think the, the, the Russians can make this a little bit interesting, but I think the way that Juve set up their lineup to play against Bologna, there was a, a little bit of an eye on the Champions League. Higuain did come on as a substitute. I think he'll come in and start this game. 
I think you may see a Ronaldo Higuain Dybala attack in this one. Um, and then uh, a, a little bit of shuffling with some of the other players. Um, in the end, I see a 2-0, maybe even a 3-0 win for Juve here. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I, I, for sure, 2 nothing. but, you know, if they're feeling if they're feeling uh, in the scoring mood, they'll get 3, but it won't be more than that or less. So. Yep. All right, now on to match, uh, on to the Wednesday matches, and then we'll start with Napoli having to travel to RB Salzburg, who is a whole lot of fun. Uh, managed by an American, Jesse Marsh, a uh, Wisconsin native, by the way, uh, my home state. So um, not often, actually, this is the only time, first in, first time ever I've had gotten to say something like that. But anyway, <laughs> Napoli heading to Salzburg. Uh, let's just say there will be goals in this one, too. Um, and uh, I'm just I'm going to go look at the uh, two and a half. Yeah, that's sitting at. The over is sitting at minus 225 on that. So they are, the, the public's expecting goals. They're expecting both teams to score, too, at a minus 250. Um, so very entertaining. I mean, last we saw Salzburg, first of all, they blasted away at Hank. Um, and then they they came back from 3-0 down against Liverpool to draw to get to a 3-3 before Liverpool put that game away at 4-3. So they have tons of goals in their locker. Uh, while Napoli have tons of goals themselves, I see another, I see another goal fest in this one. I think that this goes to a draw. Um, actually, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Napoli's going to win. Napoli's going to win, and I'm going to go for Napoli to win three-two uh, in Austria. Uh, I think that this is going to be one of the uh, exciting games of the match week. Uh, Napoli three, Salzburg two, Napoli three. Yeah, I mean, Napoli better take this game serious because Salzburg have scored nine goals in their first two games of the Champions League. Um, that is ridiculous. Um, we saw last year they made it. They made a deep run into Europa League. So this team is legit. Um, there are going to be a lot of a lot of goals in this. <sighs> Napoli better come out trying to score in this one. I mean, because I think Salzburg will definitely try to. Man, I'm going to say, I want to say a win for Napoli, but. I'm not sure how they'll do in, in, uh, with a team like this. So we, we saw what they did against Liverpool, and they did very well against them. Um, but I don't know if they're going to you know, take them as serious as they took Liverpool. So maybe something like a 3-3 in this one. Um, I'd love to say 3-2 for Napoli, but I don't know. I think they're not going to take be as um, hard up against you know facing Salzburg as they were against Liverpool, where they, they were perfect in that game and, and, and got, you know, getting results. But... Um, yeah, Salzburg man, they 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 worry me because they can score. They're a fun team to watch. They're, they're almost like a fun bad at times too, but they're they're really good defensively. So, yeah, it'll be shootout. Holland is the uh, the young striker up front that you've got to watch. They've yeah, also got everyone's the, uh, looking at him. International uh, Huang, uh, Minamino uh, coming through the midfield. There's some. I mean, these are young players that really don't care what stage they're on. They're just going out there and they're playing and they're scoring goals for fun. It's a dangerous proposition for Napoli. Um, You like a, you like a three, three really. I mean, we both like a high scoring game here. Uh, And then finally Inter hosting Borussia Dortmund after the brave display at Barcelona. Um, And then now having to just have this dogfight with Sassuolo, can they pick themselves up at the, at the San Siro with uh, Borussia Dortmund uh, coming to town, Richard. You obviously this is the arch rival of the German team that you support. Uh, give Inter fans an idea of what they have to look forward to on Wednesday. 
Um, this team, well, the fan base is going crazy because they're calling for a new manager. But this team is like within a couple points of being the top of the Bundesliga at present. They're um, they can attack. They have a young a young Englishman, Jaden Sancho, who's a fantastic talent. Um, they're they're a young team, but they're they're good and they're fast and they can score goals. So I mean that's what they got, got to look forward to. I'm hoping with the big Riviera Derby, big Derby game for Dortmund coming up in the weekend that um, Inter really take it to them and wear them out. Um, I think with Conte's system, he can he loves teams that attack him so that they they can counter. So I think it'll fit right into his wheelhouse. How they handle them is the question. Um, how they handle that pace in particular. Uh, with you know the guys on the wings that they have, and and Paco Alcacer is a fantastic striker, especially when he's in the mood, he can score in bunches. So uh, it'll be a dogfight, I think, and it, and it's going to be at since at uh, Giuseppe Miazza, right? Uh yeah, it is. It's at the it's at the Giuseppe Miazza. So I mean, we we've seen how Inter played so far in Champions League, and it hasn't been that great. Um, but you know, hopefully this game is has a very uh, almost like a finals atmosphere because both these teams are going to be uh, chomping the bit trying to get some points out of this. And uh, you know, looking at the uh, looking at the groups, Inter really need the win in this, so they need to go for the win. I think to, to try to have any um, hopes of progressing through this group. And so hopefully they get a nice uh, maybe uh, a two one or three two victory. Yep, I'm gonna go for just because I bang the drum for Italian football. I am going to go for Inter to win this game by two, two to one. Um, I think there'll be some goals in this game. Um, you know, I think that two is uh, realistic for sure. Yeah, it it is, it is. I mean, Dortmund, you're not going to keep Dortmund out. They've got quality going forward. Um, but I think that Handanovic is going to put on a good game here. He's going to make some key saves. This defense is going to kind of – they're going to tighten it up because, you know what, after giving up three against Sassuolo, you know what Conti's priority is going to be heading into this game. Um, you know, and having three days or having Monday and Tuesday to get prepared for that uh, I think is going to be critical. Um, you, know, you know, when you look at Inter and Dortmund, the betting public don't particularly like um, a – uh, they don't particularly have a favorite. I mean, they have Inter at plus 130 and they have Dortmund at plus 210, so they don't have a real prohibitive favorite here. Uh, when they look at the goals uh, over under, they you know it's a slight favorite to go over two and a half with both teams scoring. So two one makes a lot of sense for Inter, um, you know, and I think that that's what a lot of the public likes to or seems to like at least you know for that case. So is you know. Tracking where everybody's at in the standings, obviously Atalanta's bottom on zero points, and if they don't win at the city of, you know, at the at Manchester City at the Etihad, they're probably staring or looking at whatever they can do as far as scratching and clawing to grab a Europa League place. Um, Juve is tied top with Atletico Madrid, um, and there's Lokomotiv Moscow there on three points, so there's something for the Russians to play for, but. If we think Juve win, they they hold serve and uh, get to seven points. It's just a matter of what will go on between Atleti and Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, Napoli are top of this group, and Salzburg is sitting right there on three points. So this is a huge match. I mean, uh, and Liverpool is certainly going to be very interested. Um, you know, if they can take care of business against Genk, they can probably be coming out of Group B, top of the group, uh, if Napoli Salzburg ends in a draw. And then finally, Inter need to win this game. Um uh, you know, to turn this into a real contest uh, for those two places, you got to expect that Barcelona is going to get it done against Slavia Prague. Uh, so now Inter need to get it done against Borussia Dortmund to try to make this a uh, a battle here uh, for that group. So 
Uh, Europa League, Roma is hosting Borussia Mönchengladbach. Lazio hosting Celtic. Uh, thoughts on those games, Richard? Well, you know, typically when you say, oh, you're, they're playing only, they're only playing Gladbach, you're like, oh, that's not, not a big deal. This year, they're actually playing a lot better this year. They're actually top of the Bundesliga. Surprise, surprise. Um, under Marco Rose, who was at Salzburg before, um, he is, uh, he is a manager who knows how to play and knows how to win. And, um, he's going to make it tough for Roma. And so Roma, I'm curious with their lack of goals lately. Uh, how are they going to handle a Gladbach team who uh, can get goals done? And, um, it's going to be a difficult fixture for them, for sure. Uh, and then uh, Lazio and Celtic. Celtic have been uh, much better lately, um, both domestic and, and, and abroad. So um, two tough matches for the two Roman clubs. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a pick'em pick'em games, really, because it's going to be hard to really say. Neither team will be favorites. I would say it'll be slight favorites, if any. Um, it doesn't <laughs> yep. look good to me though. I don't know. I, I think Lazio can take Celtic for sure, but I think Gladbach is in in too good of a form right now, and it may. I mean, a draw is probably um, best result. I think Roma can get unless somehow they get hot. But I I, I say like one one is best case scenario, two two something like that. But uh, I'm not leaning really towards that. I think Gladbach could, could probably gonna win it. I think Fonseca played a weaker side against Sampdoria or played you know a very strange formation with the idea that I think he wants to get this done against Mönchengladbach and get to seven points. So uh, I expect him to play a stronger formation. Dzeko's obviously going to play from the start. He played the whole second half here really out of necessity with the injury to Kalinic. Um, so I think that Roma are going to go ahead and get this done and, and, and win. I'm going to give them a 2-1 win uh, over Mönchengladbach. As far as Lazio traveling to Celtic, We've seen Lazio struggle on the road all season long. And that's a tough um, place to play. And, and yeah, Celtic Park is a tough place to play. I don't care what anybody thinks about where the, the, the state of Scottish football. Um, that's still a tough fixture. Uh, you know, and if, if, if they're motivated, they're going to make this difficult. Lazio already lost at Cluj when everybody thought they could win that one. Uh, so, uh, you know, we'll have to see what happens. And after Lazio got punched in the gut here by Atalanta, um, you know, where's their confidence going to be at going into this game? That's another thing you got to take a look at and think about. So um, I am going to go with Lazio getting a draw uh, at Celtic, and they're not going to be too bothered by that. I think that they'll go out there. They'll, it'll be a 2-2 draw. It's going to be an entertaining game uh, there in Glasgow. Um, so I'm going to go with Roma with the win. I'm going to go with Lazio with a draw. So um, your thoughts on the European games? Go to at Serie Sit Down on Twitter or Instagram with predictions or ideas. And with that, we're going to put a bow on this edition of Serie Sit Down. Hey, you wanted to mention something about Koulibaly? Yeah, you know, uh, a lot of people don't. I mean, obviously the the Italian fans, the Serie A fans, love Koulibaly. They think he's probably one of the best defenders in the world. But he, you know, lots of people outside of the continent or outside of the um, uh, the country or outside of the Serie A fan base. Don't really give him much credit, and this guy is a complete player. And you know, the play in particular I want to talk about in the Napoli game against Hellas, uh, he literally took on the whole Hellas team offensively, went down to the far you know, opposition corner, held off two players before giving you know, giving up to his, his teammate. This guy can do everything. He's not only a world class defender, but he can he has skills on the ball. He was using feints and trickery and going around the Hellas Hellas players like it was nothing. Um, this guy is such an all-around talent. I mean, he is no doubt about it for me the best defender in the world. He just he's just so all-around player. I mean, what more can he do to show people that he is that good? 
Um, n- name me any other center back in the world that can can do what he did in that game against Hellas. Nobody. Yep. yep. Agreed. Agreed. Um, well, now we'll put a bow on this. Yeah, <laughs> sit down uh, after that. Um, Richard, uh, anything to plug? Yeah, uh, we just finally came out with the uh, Apollo Fonseca tactics video on YouTube. Go check that out. Uh, we talk about how you know how the season started uh, with Roman and what's what's to come, and we also you know look back at where Fonseca started, in particular Shakhtar, uh, the tactics he used there, and how it translates to Roma. So uh, definitely give that a follow. And then other than that, you can find me anywhere on social media at r underscore k h a r m a n. Excellent. You can find me at FTC underscore 21 at Seti Ah Sit Down on Twitter or Instagram. Those are the handles uh, for our pages there. We're also on Facebook. Look for us, Seti Ah Sit Down. Uh, give us a follow. Uh, would very much appreciate it there. Uh, we are on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, just about any place where you can find a podcast. We're going to be there. We have our own channel on iTunes and SoundCloud for that matter. Uh, so, uh, do subscribe, uh, drop likes on the podcast would mean a lot to us if you like what you're hearing, um, or go to those handles on social media and make suggestions. We no suggestion is a bad one, and uh, our ears are open to try to make this better for you guys to listen to. So, uh, certainly appreciate uh, your support and uh, continuing to listen to us for all things Calcio. So. Uh, thank you again for uh, listening to us and uh, looking forward to the European games this week. For Richard, I'm Frank. Uh, thanks again for listening, and be sure you're telling your paisans about us. Ciao.